When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Tonight we continue our path through the AFC North looking at uh, the matchups for the Baltimore Ravens and, and in our comfortable seats on June the 5th as we record this, <laughs> thinking about the first matchups with the Browns, which will be what, December? Week twelve, week twelve, and week fourteen. Week twelve and week fourteen. The Browns no bye week between, of course. Joining me, you probably recognize his voice already, is Jason Smith. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. This is uh, the one I'm excited, most excited about. 
Yeah, it's uh, Cleveland, the up-and-coming team, certainly in the division. Uh, a lot of people think they're the favorite to win the AFC North coming off the bat. I wouldn't argue with that. I, don't, I think it's it's a very solid team top to bottom. Uh, we're going to talk about a few matchups that are key, but, boy, the Browns, a very deep roster. They do. They have a very deep starting roster. And um, I think that that's the important part that a lot of people will miss. And especially in a 17-game season, the Ravens are one of the best, uh, the deepest roster as far as if a starter goes down in a key position, they have someone that at least you can expect to do a decent job in their place. And that will be the challenge for the Browns is to stay healthy and keep this. Uh, it's an all-star starters, so it's to keep the crew together. By the way, that's, we just observed something from Jason that's just outstanding. And I want to I thank him for it for starters because basically he disagrees with what he said, but he did it in consultantees, as I say, where he basically says, yes, I agree. They have a very deep starting roster, which is not, of course, the definition of depth at all. And uh, he's, he's, I'm no doubt right about this. So we'll talk about this. I think they have some depth on the defensive line and other places, but we'll talk through this, Jason. So sure, wh- yeah. why don't we start on the defensive side of the ball, my friend, and, and uh, pick something about it that you like that, that uh, you know, you think will be a challenge for the Ravens or you think is an opportunity for the Ravens, perhaps? Well, I think the the thing that strikes me about this uh, Browns defense is the amount of turnover that they've had. And um, it's a good thing for them because their defense hasn't been a strength. So you have a lot of new pieces in there. All of them have a, a, an upside from the rookies to the, the veterans that they brought in. So it'll be interesting to see. It's, uh, uh, it's an unpredictable group. And if I'm looking at it from their perspective, uh, they what they were doing did not stop the Ravens at all. So why not? Well, how much worse could the new group be? A lot of talent there. If I have this right, I think they might have spent – they either have eight rookies or eight draft picks. No, it could be nine. So there must be some undrafted free agents here um, uh, that, that uh, really were primarily on the defense that they picked up their new young players. On offense, they only have a handful. Uh, but on defense, they have some of their key players, including their first-round draft pick, who's uh, Greg Newsom. But – the Browns are deceptive in that way because they have some players returning who we haven't seen yet. And what I think will be the most significant things for the Browns defensively is how their secondary holds up. Not a very good secondary last year. Uh, they had a lot of problems. And it started with the injury of Grant Delpit before the season started, a guy who I really liked in the 2020 draft. Me too. Uh, he'll, he'll be back playing free safety. Yes, and, you know, as far as the pass defense of the Browns, specifically against the Ravens, uh, Lamar had a field day against them. I could read the numbers, but Lamar tore the Browns up last year through the air, not with his, just with his legs, but through the air. And uh, Grant Elpitt, I think, is maybe the biggest key on the team because you have a steady player next to him, a veteran John Johnson, very good player. But what Delpit can do, Johnson can't, and that's covered the back end. And then, of course, Delpit's coming off a lost rookie year, so he's never played the NFL. Big question mark for a free safety. Now, I like to not repeat stuff, but one of the things about the Browns is they really are set if Delpit works out to be one of those teams that doesn't have rotational safeties or guys who can play all the positions, blah, blah, blah. They have a free safety they think they can trust. And they and and very much like the Bengals, who have uh, Jesse Bates back there, who they know they can trust. Uh, and a little bit maybe unlike the Ravens, who have you know some flexibility in their secondary, not like with Thomas or Weddle, where they really had a pure free safety, no matter what they would say about the person in terms of being able to come up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, 
help it uh, gives them uh, you know the potential to have that full safety group and, and the real set. They also spent a first round graph, a draft pick at cornerback on Greg Newsom, who uh, I loved him. I thought he was you know clearly worth the first round grade, and uh, he went to the Browns. Right before us. Well, not right before us, but close enough for close enough for me to um, be upset that they got him because his his physical skills translate. He was a, a four three. I want to say four three nine. I saw uh, very quick, and then he's got he's uh, strong physically too. So he's not a smaller corner. He's big enough. He's big, strong, fast corner. Um, and that's the thing with this team. You have Del Pitt, extremely talented, but we haven't seen him play in the NFL. Newsom, extremely talented on the edge, uh, not the edge, but the boundaries, um, covering corners, big press man corner capability. And then you have their prized possession of the draft, uh, Wusu Karamoa at linebacker. So you have some guys at key positions that haven't played in the NFL. A lot of upside, but I expect some rookie growing pains there too. Yeah, obviously some positions where they have really struggled in the past. Obviously, Cleveland has not been able to find those inside linebackers. Uh, yeah, they, they were okay, and I'm forgetting, I've lost the name, because of an S. Uh, linebackers? Yes, yeah, Schofield, Talk. but I, it's not that. Oh, it's, okay. You know what I'm talking about, Schobert. Yes, Joe Schobert. Uh, yeah, so Schobert was a was a, a guy who was off and on as a pass defender and, and, and pretty good at times, had four interceptions a, a, a few years ago, whether I was two or three. But they really haven't put together good inside linebackers, and yet they, they really don't play a ton of dime. So what they've done is they've kept a bad player on the field for the Ravens to kind of take advantage of, even in passing situations. Uh, you know, a lot of teams are afraid of, of stopping the run with the Ravens on almost any down, but, uh, but I think most teams need to get away from that. And they need to they need to be able to put a another light guy in the box when the situation dictates it. And it's a it's a problem for them because Andrews Mark Andrews has given them a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they need to find a way to slow Mark Andrews down. And um, you know the Ravens' offense is at its best when it's going through Andrews in the running game, just churning out medium short to medium gains. So um, I don't know if that's something that they're going to ask um, JOK to do. I mean, Gormo is a, a very good athlete, but I see him more as a downhill player. And I you know mm-hmm. as a rookie, he's going to struggle in coverage. But that's Patrick the one area. Queen esque if you. Patrick Queen S, yeah. right? He's a, he's a downhill player. He's a he's a thumper that has a lot of speed. So yeah, th- I would say that's a great comparison, Queen um, to Cormo, who's obviously a more physical player. I think he's uh, he, he's uh, in the old school mode. But they brought in Anthony Walker, is what I was trying to get to, um, who is a steady presence at Mike, and I think that that'll help. Um, just just give him some glue to that position. All right, they have a guy I liked from LSU and Jacob Phillips at inside linebacker. We don't have to go over all these inside linebackers, but it's not like they haven't tried to bring in some new blood, to draft different people, to try different people. It just it really hasn't worked for them. So whatever they've done, it's it, they've had players who've been jumping in against play action against the Ravens. I, what I think is the biggest fear I have about this Browns team and the biggest chance that they completely figure it out defensively isn't the addition of Clowney, which we'll get to in a minute. It's the it's the changes on the back end that mm-hmm. getting Newsom at one corner may allow them to play some island ball. Getting Delpit on the back end may eliminate a portion of the field or make it more dangerous for Lamar to use that portion. 
Um, and, and in particular, I mean, one of the things Delpit can take away, not, not just, you know, taking away the deep middle in a lot of ways, but he can take away uh, some of the ability to extend plays. If he's lurking back there, you, you suddenly become fearful to throw the ball back across the middle of the field, which you're not supposed to do anyway. But you take some chances on it if you're Lamar because you draw the entire defense to you. Well, Grant Delpit in the middle of the field can change that. That's true. And, you know, the, those broken plays turned out to be positive plays a large majority of the time for the Ravens. I mean, things go wrong. Guys get knocked off their route, break down in the line, and then Lamar makes a uh, five-yard scramble, 10 yards out of it, gets 10 yards out of it. But, yes, their secondary is going to be important to them. As far as it relates to the Ravens, I think it's interesting because the areas you're talking about are the areas in which we're trying to expand our game in, the passing game, attacking all areas of the field. But I'm not sure if they have have uh, shored up their run defense enough to make it matter versus the Ravens specifically against a lot of teams. Yes. But um, if, I mean, Miles Garrett was on the team when we were running all over him last year, Clowney of course is a, a great run defender. That was a good addition mm -hmm. for them. Um, but you're losing Ogan Joby, who was a Ra Ravens killer and uh, Sheldon Richardson, right? So yeah, so that's, that's a good run defender gun. So yeah, they had some pretty good run defenders and we but, ran all over them and they haven't really improved that area. I don't see for Andrew Lutton. Billings, who I, I believe, did he opt out last year or did he not play or was he hurt? One of those. Yes. Yeah. I think he opted out. Um, he signed from the Bengals and opted out, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So they, they, they put a... The defensive line in the draft had very few good players, but Tommy Togiai was one of the people a lot of people liked. I think he's probably a little undersized, which means I think the Ravens will be able to handle him at, at defensive tackle or nose tackle wherever he lines up for the Browns in, in this year. Uh, they have Malik Jackson. Um, Tackerist McKinney is still there. Uh, he passed around like a bad cold in terms of the opportunities people had to take him uh, last year, but, but he ended up with the Browns. Um, anyway, uh, Jordan Elliott, a guy from Missouri, right? Missouri or I, Iowa? I always get that confused. Yes, it was the black and gold, but it was Missouri this time. Okay, there you go. Uh, who uh, I liked in the draft the, the the previous year. It went in the what late late first, early second round. I want to say second, but we could be yeah. wrong on that. But he had first round great, or he was in a lot of first round of mocks. Mm -hmm. Jordan Elliott, good player, and I think he's a balanced player. If you if you remember it the same way, correct me. But I think he he provided a little push with his run defense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I, I won't go too much into this because I'm, I'm sure I'll say something wrong if I if right. I do. But uh, <laughs> but this is in total number of players. This is more than Cleveland has had in the past. Now, they you know, playing a four three, they've been one of the teams that's asked a lot of their guys to play more snaps than you might like. Um, and, and this year, I don't doubt that uh, Garrett and Clowney are going to be asked to play a lot of snaps, but Clowney at the least at his age uh, and with his history is probably not going to play all the snaps. They're, they're going to have to pitch count him in some way. Garrett has been more able to continue play at a very high level while playing a lot of snaps. I could see Cleveland adding a uh, veteran edge rusher or a camp cut um, after in, in, in August, say, training camp to mm -hmm. get a good look at their guys and maybe move on because you're depending on Miles Garrett for a lot in that defense. But also Clowney, um, he's very good against the run when he's in there and he yeah. has games where he's unstoppable. So to go from Clowney to attack McKinley 
or, or, or Joe Jackson or any of the other guys they have in there that can play the edge is a giant drop-off. And I don't think you can afford that if you're trying to beat the Ravens for the division title. It's late in the season, especially. Who knows what could happen? Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that if there are going to be there are going to be games where they just have to throw caution to the wind and put those guys out there. And not, not that Clowney is like him or that he's as old as McPhee, but McPhee, he's so valuable in all the things he can do for the Ravens. Despite the fact the Ravens really need to pitch count him, they're going to be very tempted to keep him on the field this year. They certainly were tremendously tempted in 2019 and, and he ended his season early. And then last year played a lot of snaps as well. Uh, he ended up, you know, being the team, one of the team's really good run defenders, especially in that playoff game. So I don't know. This is kind of off topic, but I think it's worth asking you. Could you see a scenario in which McPhee is playing most of his snaps as a sub rusher inside because uh, we upgraded the run defense supposedly with uh, Adafi Way and even Dalen Hayes? You say, no. hey, we we don't need we don't need Mafi to set the edge as much. Let's use him for his inside pass rush. Yeah, I, I just I don't see that being the being the answer in this first year. I I think inevitably you ought to project growing pains going from uh, college to pro. So while I am very optimistic about Oway's future, uh, I think and and they've got some great looking reps that they've published out of OTAs. Uh, I think we're going to we're going to have to wait and see about the guys, what he truly picks up from coaching in this offseason in in, camp, in the camp to follow. Um, and, and then as the as the season goes along in terms of whether or not he truly has the get off ready or not, he truly has the first contact mentality. I think he needs to develop in order to be an effective pass rusher and frankly, to be an effective run defender at this level. Um, if his game is all pursuit, it's not like that would be useless. It's just not as valuable as we need him to be. So I think there'll be growing pains. And, and McPhee, much more of a dedicated first contact. And even at his age, thunderous first step. Great first step still. Um, not, not what it was in 2014. I'll be the first to, do, to admit that. But still, a very fine football player. And yeah, I, I expect him to kick inside, but I don't. I, I think they need him too much on the edge on the early downs, too. And that's going to be an internal conflict of how they eyedropperize his snaps. Okay, it's great. Thank you, Ken. I, I appreciate that. I just thought of that. So I'm thinking about Clowney. You know, if they, he's going to need to show up for them on the edge because they really don't. They don't have a lot else as far as run defense. Um, so uh, that'll be very, very interesting. Playing a team like Cle Cleveland two weeks in a row um, with our with their bye week and uh, yeah. they're playing us twice in a row with their bye week in between is going to be a huge challenge. Um, and it's going to take a lot of players to get through that matchup. Yeah, com complete crap schedule deal for the Ravens, obviously, to, to, to have that. The Browns, uh, the easiest schedule of the AFC North contenders, and I'll see I want to include the Bengals. Bengals, a plus 17 schedule. The Browns, a plus 12 we won't go into this whole scheduling nonsense, but the, the Ravens and Steelers, very similar schedules, minus seven and minus eight, respectively, really got the short end of the stick. Uh, it, it often happens because of Thursday night games that there's kind of a, a little bit of a, a biorhythm kind of change from year to year in terms of who gets a tough schedule. But, uh, boy, the, the Ravens last year got, got a Thursday game that they didn't have to play. And I think part of what the NFL did was say, we're not giving we're not making it easy for the Ravens this year after they didn't even have to play their hard schedule last year because they they got out of it. So uh, um, I, I'm not sure if, the, if that was part of the deal, but it wouldn't surprise me because the Ravens certainly got no favors in terms of their schedule and, and the Steelers as well could could uh, make that same complaint. 
And I think, wasn't it 2019 where we had alternating games home and away every week? Yeah. So pretty much for two years in a row, we, we were pretty fortunate, I think, with the schedule. This one is, is not like that. And, um, you know, I expect the Browns to be our main competition at the end of the day in the AFC North. It's just the way I see the two teams. And a lot of people agree with me about that, I'm sure. But um, having the two games, week 12, week 14, I think it's really going to be a testament to the team's depth at certain right. positions. And um, if I'm looking at the Browns, I'm a, I would actually, uh, unlike the other two teams in this division, I want to establish that run and see if they can stop it and give me a good idea of what we have to do to win this game early. All right. All right. Well, let's, we'll go ahead and move over to the offense since it seems like we've done that right now. Um, in terms of, uh, of, of how they attack Garrett and Clowney, uh, for starters, uh, what would you what would you do to do that? How would you establish the run differently against those guys? I would actually I think you can run at Miles Garrett, but I, I would I wouldn't test Clowney. And I think with uh, with Billings, Elliott, Malik Jackson, you know, there's not uh, a ton of talent in between the tackles for the Browns on defense. That's where I would go. I think it's a Gus Edwards type game. Um or maybe you run a lot. You run some inverted options to threaten um, Lamar's ability in there. But uh, I think they can be had in the middle with the young linebackers and uh, with a, an average crew on the inside. Their defensive tackles, I think, is their weakest part of their defense. Mm-hmm. Certainly not not a terrible group of tackles and, and some depth there. But uh, but we'll see. A lot of people like Andrew Billings more. Um, I, I do like him. And two play, two years ago, he's certainly a good player for the Bengals. The question is, uh, you know, is he still the same guy? And I guess he's what twenty eight, twenty nine now. So he's he's not a, a spring chicken anymore. Uh, but uh, but was a good player the last time we saw him out there. That's for sure. Uh, with with Clowney, well, with both Clowney and and um, Garrett, I like the idea of forcing guys like that. To into controlled rush lanes, and that'll this will be the biggest test for the Ravens' two offensive tackles by week twelve. One of the nice things about the schedule, we should know if Ronnie Stanley is truly back or not yet. At that point, he might not start the season for the Ravens. Very possible Villanueva ends up starting at left tackle, and the Ravens have you know a guy that they probably don't want at right tackle, frankly, uh, starting the year, whoever that may be, uh, or is not optimal. But but by then. We should have Ronnie Stanley and Villanueva as the two tackles, I would think. And Nick Boyle was a big uh, – when I watched – I went back and watched Clowney on the Seahawks from 2019 – and it was one of Boyle's, I thought, best games as a Raven. It's the one where Lamar said, yeah, coach, let's go for it. Yep. Big, big game. Um, a lot of fans out there remember it. And uh, Boyle, you know, I saw him against uh, a man as built like Clowney and watch him uproot Clowney, literally uh, get leverage and lift one of his feet off the ground and turn Clowney and do this to Clowney. And then the next mm-hmm. thing you know, he's out there cutting blockers in the second level and third level. Um, Nick Boyle is a weapon especially when you have a, a guy as uh, stout as Clowney on the edge. And, and he was he was he lining up then mostly on the right side where Boyle would have been, but Boyle could have been diving into the line and other things, of course, but uh, mostly on the right side for Boyle. And so it would have been Orlando Boyle. Brown would have been maybe not blocking him that Ex- year. With exactly. The exactly. And I, I remember a, a, a handful of plays where Orlando would help Boyle initially, but go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. 
So it wasn't uh, right. It combo block, and he, he would just give Boyle basically. It, 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 he didn't take a, a lot of time on that combo block either. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't stick around. It was just basically, hey Nick, give you a split second to get in front of him, and and Nick would was twisting him down, blocking the heck out of him, man. But uh, that was a game that really stuck out for Boyle, and um, being so late in the season, hopefully Nick Boyle's 100% by them by then and um since i've seen him handle Clowney before i i'll have faith in boyle that he can be a big part of the run game when we do run that way all right all right looking forward to that certainly so you know the browns obviously with some uh with some big positives on their defensive uh side of the ball let's switch over to the offense and uh there you know the browns have not invested nearly as much this offseason uh in the offensive side of the ball. They have a, a they had a very good offensive line. They still have a very good offensive line uh, with Wills, Betonio, Treader, uh, Teller, and Conklin. That's as good a five as any in the NFL right now. Yeah, I was going to say they they fixed their offense last year, in my opinion, mm-hmm. when they hired Kevin Stefanski and they put together this offensive line. They spent their first round pick on uh, Jedrick Wills. Mm-hmm. So as much investment as we went over a lot of the players on defense, a lot of high picks on that defense, really they've done it with free agents. Um, they have uh, Jedrick Wills, of course, who they drafted. But it's a veteran group. It's a good group. And what I love about this side of the ball for both teams is you're returning a ton of players. It's a lot of continuity uh, between the two groups. The Ravens lost a couple edge rushers. The Browns offense looks about the same. Ravens defense looks about the same, except for those edge rushers. Yeah. Oh, this is we've mentioned this several times over the over the course of several shows, but the Browns dominated the offensive and defensive lines in that week one matchup, despite the fact the Ravens won by 32. And I've mentioned it before. I've basically never seen that. The Ravens won that game based on the quarterback play, basically. Mayfield pretty much shit the bed in that game. And at the same time, uh, Lamar Jackson with... Only four ample time and space opportunities out of 27 dropbacks managed a 152 passer rating, which okay, is just so, out, of, out of the box. So, yes. Yeah, so break that down. 20 of 25 for 275, 11 yards per attempt for <laughs> Lamar in a game where we had the lead. And uh, we got it early, but Lamar was a big part of that. He was lights out week one last year. Yeah. It absolutely was. It made all kinds of things happen on the move in that game, made all kinds of things happen on extended plays, uh, which was which was really impressive. Had some of his best throws of the season. One I remember is moving left to throw to Andrews in the corner, near corner of the end zone uh, mm-hmm. was was a, a thing of beauty. Yes, it's it's kind of hard to uh, predict on the Browns offense exactly what happened, what the difference was between their first game and their second game um, on offense. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the Browns only scored six points the first game. And then, of course, the Monday night classic was later in the year was 47 to 42. So they went from scoring six points the first game to 42 the second point, second game. And uh, the only logical thing I can attribute that to other than falling behind early was that that was Stefanski's first game as their head coach, as their coordinator. So it's quite possible that they were probable that they got more comfortable as the year went along. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously the, the Browns improved greatly from that first week performance with the with the things that went wrong. Um, you know, I, 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 looking at that offensive line, uh, you really have to trip over yourself to, to fail with an offensive line that good 
And it's not like the Browns' skill position players are bad either. Obviously, this is a, a pivotal year for, for Mayfield. Um, it's year four. They've already committed to him for year five. But if he, if he had another year like 2019, where he had more interceptions and touchdowns, I think it's possible he could be five and done in Cleveland. I don't think it's necessary that they, they go ahead and sign him to a long-term deal. Uh, where are you on that? I think they'd be taking a big chance, and I'm not sure that after the long, barren stretch that they had, that they'd be willing to just get rid of a guy they know who is a good quarterback. You know, I, I, the fear of the unknown, like if it was a, right. a successful organization with a long history and they can afford to strike out and not alienate the fans, but the fans love Baker Mayfield for the respectability he brought back to Cleveland. And if you let him go, the guy who brings him in, better be as good. A lot good. of pressure. Yes, a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of pressure. pressure. And and they're not going to have the number one overall pick again, no matter what, with this roster. Right, right. Uh, you know, to, to try and find his replacement. It's it's uh, it's still exactly what you hope to, is put divisional rivals in a position. I'm sure they're hoping bad things for Lamar Jackson this year. But it, whatever happens, I mean, this is, a, this is a real seesaw year for the Browns organization, not just for Mayfield. If it works out, and Mayfield ends up becoming the, the, the quarterback is going to be there for a decade for the Browns. Well, that's first of all, that's a real bad thing for the Ravens. But second of all, how much they pay for that is really dependent on this year's performance. Sure is. I mean, you know, I guess they could have the excuse that, uh, well, we didn't really invest in the weapons. But like you said, that main we- it, his main weapon is that offensive line. Oh, I, I mean, 31 <laughs> other quarterbacks would love to have that line. It's just a well-balanced group, so. I have no idea how they'd make that claim because the Browns are spending the most on offense of any team in the NFL. The Ravens are the second least, I think. Uh, if they're not the second least, they're the third least. But, but the Browns spent the most. And it's one of the interesting things. And the, the, the uh, Jake Burns joined me for the for the Browns uh, roster preview. And one of the points he made was that the, the Browns still have some money, but they want to roll that money over to next year because they really haven't got a lot of their contract situations resolved. And they're not in the, the, the same kind of really excellent position the Ravens are, where while they have a couple of good players to sign, they also have money to do it. And so the Ravens have are ahead of the game a little bit in terms of planning for 2022 while fans get all upset that we didn't sign one more wide receiver or one more edge rusher for 2021, you know, there's good reasons for that. There are good reasons to, to keep a few quat in the in the piggy bank there. Right. You can see when it catches up to you, it catches up to you. And that happened to Pittsburgh. Um, so as much as you can manipulate the cap, it helps. You can spend, you can, you can do, do something on, I don't want to say on a whim because everything's calculated, but you can move quickly if you have the cap to do so and figure it out later. But, um, but yes, it, it, it's kind of just struck me as much pressure as you feel that we hear as Ravens fans. Okay. We're in the Lamar window. You know, we're going to have to pay him. We're not going to be able to. Uh, been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. 
like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. For this team, I think the pressure's on Cleveland even more. I mean, they have oh, yeah. ba- they have Baker cheap. Um, you know, they have this line all in their seemingly in their prime playing well. They have Nick Chubb um, and Kareem Hunt, who are going to get much more expensive. Um, so the pressure is on this team, especially as we talked about the defense having all this young talent, um, unproven talent. You know, if the defense struggles to adjust and gel together, a lot of pressure is going to be on this Browns group. So it's going to be on the offense, I think, to carry them early. Right. That that offensive line is going to get supremely expensive in a couple of years. They're already paying Treader, Conklin, Batonio pretty well. Wills is making first round money. So it's not like he makes nothing, but he also doesn't make anything like what he will make. Um, and then Wyatt Teller was a big surprise. So he'll, uh, you know, make some money at some point, but he's the one guy they'll have cheap for a while. Yes, it's a it's a great offensive line, but the window, as we just said, you know, we feel like we have that here with Ravens fans. Say, let's make the most of the quarterback on the rookie contract. Well, if you look at their roster, it's not just the uh, quarterback on a rookie tri- uh, contract. It's everywhere else. There's a lot of people getting raises on the Browns coming up. Right. Very, very much true. All right. Well, let's see. So we've hit about the importance of this year for Mayfield. What about the running game? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I do, because this is uh, this is the one thing that I think um, out of all the others that could really give the Ravens problems. Um, the Ravens have prided themselves we've pr- forever on run defense. And uh, last year, as a whole, uh, the Ravens gave up 4.6 yards per rush. And if you're not a numbers guy, that's not horrible. That's middle of the package. But it's just not up to the Ravens' standard of, hey, we want to stop the run first and then create all this chaos afterwards. And the Browns, even in week one, when they lost to the Ravens 38-6, to they averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Um, so their running game is legitimate. It's it's the it's not just the offensive line, but the backs too. It's the fancy scheme where you have a lot of play action um, built out of it. So you have to respect that running game, but you have to also respect the passing game. It creates indecision. This is a team that's going to be in the top five rushing if their line stays together again this year. No doubt about it in my mind. Yeah, the, the uh, just to to. to push forward that point a lot. The Ravens in their first 23 seasons, I believe 2019 was the first year they allowed a, a 4.0 or more yards per rush in the franchise's history, which is incredible, by the way. Just absolutely incredible. In 2012, by the way, this is a, just a weird situation. The final kneel of the season in the Week 17 loss to the Bengals Anthony Dalton game didn't matter obviously to the Ravens they had their the playoff spot secured the previous week but the, the Bengals beat him Andy Dalton kneeled the ball on the final play and that pulled him below 4.0 yards per carry so it's just a weird situation but it was kind of neat <laughs> we're back uh, in the green baby we're back yeah, in the green we're back in the green <laughs> but but anyway the, the, the Ravens had a, have a very proud tradition of of being able to stop the run and force the other team to do things they don't want to do and you know I think more than than the teams of yore uh, you know, Ravens uh, have gone to more dime defense in 2019 than ever before. 
And that year, they gave up a lot of rushing yards, and it was by choice, in my opinion. A lot of, particularly against Buffalo, against some against San Francisco, um, they, they gave up some rushing yards when they were defending the pass in a way uh, that, that uh, you know, it, it just made sense to do it. The, the, the stat I give is that Buffalo ran, I want to get this right, nine times for 87 versus the dime in 2019. But they also, against the dime, passed 20 times for seven net yards, 0.35 per play. So the Ravens obviously were doing the right thing to play a lot of dime, even though they were giving nine yards a rush up. And, and people kind of missed that. And, and they said, wait a minute, hold on. We can't get run all over like this. Well, it's a, some of it's a choice. And you have a lot of big leads to protect. The other team's kind of given up on the game. They get into the let's just have one drive mentality that the Ravens love to put other teams in. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's a time for them to run up some rushing yards. That, that's what I was going to say. Well, a lot of big leads that year mm-hmm. and a lot of prevent-type defense. Uh, not technically, but a good way to describe it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Five-yard run, six-yard run, who cares? Um, and dime defense. That I think that had a lot to do with, uh, you know, we, we had to bring in uh, Bynes and Fort to try to stabilize that linebacker yeah, crew for the too. First, for the first four weeks, they certainly did. And I've got it wrong. It's the Houston Texans, not San Francisco. San Francisco, they had trouble stopping the run, but it, but but they knew San Francisco was running the ball with seven heavies, and they finally got Ferguson in out of the game and replaced him with Ward. They finally got that edge sealed up, and they didn't allow any more big plays at that point. The, the game was Houston. Houston had like two runs for 80 late in the game that, that contributed to a, a high yards per rush for the game. It was over six, I believe. You know, the Ravens don't like giving up long runs. No team ever should. But if you're going to give them up, give them up when you're up 41 nothing or 34 nothing or whatever it was at the time, and, and it's a lot less painful. It's just a such a big part of the Browns' offense is to establish that run so they can play action off of it, and it really tests the discipline. I thought Marcus Peters actually had a really good game against the mm-hmm. Browns last year because he stayed home there. In the you know the announcers, I think even pointed it out on TV, but he didn't buy into that pressure when Bay, uh, Baker Mayfield kept it rolled back out. Peters was in the right spot. So um, the more success the Browns have running the ball, the more out of position you find yourself, um, and I think they do it by abusing edge players i think they put a lot of pressure on the edge players i mean it's it's great that we have the monstars um you know with brandon williams leading the way there but uh we had some pretty let's say uneven run defense from some of the guys that were in there on the edge at least in my opinion i don't know how you graded it well, but I, uh, I, I i i would agree this last year it wasn't it wasn't an ideal situation for edge play but there's i think there's bigger problems at inside linebacker uh board is in there pretty much only on passing downs at this point we'll see what how they use him this this year because they've made a financial commitment to him but he had terrible tackling year and queen had a worse tackling year as if that's even possible uh he was in there for for more snaps missed about every sixth tackle uh board actually missed about every fifth but it was fewer total tackles we're talking about um it, it's it those that can't happen again i mean the ravens need to figure out how to how to get people on the ground and and queen has a lot of um things to learn about. We saw tons of flash plays from his in his rookie year, but he needs to figure out how, what's going on behind him in the passing game. He needs to figure out his own assignment in coverage coming off the line of scrimmage even before that, and he needs to, to, to be a better form tackler at the NFL level. He just doesn't use both arms well enough. He's more of a pouncer. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like a lion or some kind of predatory animal. 
chasing down his prey and jumping on its back. Like you see, a, you see a lot of that with Patrick Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm not going to get overly critical of him in his rookie year, but it's it's something that I would have liked to seen from the rookie year. Ken, can you at least shed a block and make a tackle? Right. Like I don't expect you to be a coverage guru and, and everything else in your first year, but Queen's got to get better at the at the basics, especially when we play teams like the Browns. Right. D- downhill run defense is really one of the big ones. And, and I think some of the things they talked about last offseason were that they wanted Queen to play 100 miles an hour. Just get him playing 100 miles an hour. If he makes mistakes, he makes mistakes. But at least he's doing that. And I think he did a lot of that. I think he did a lot of the fast downhill play. And he made some some choices that were not not great, but he made more more so, the missed tackles were a problem, uh, despite a lot of really positive splash plays that, that uh, you know, we can, we can honestly look at and say, hey, there's still a pretty good chance Patrick Queen ends up being a very good linebacker in this league. Great. I mean, I think he can be a great linebacker. I really do. Um, I was very critical of him last year, but I mean, you got to figure he's ending drives by himself with this pass rush, either by drawing a penalty or getting a sack. I mean, yeah, they're, I mean, those are like turnovers. They're drive enders, the sacks and the penalties. Um, so I, I don't I don't have a problem with him going 100 miles an hour in run defense. It's pass defense where he gets drawn out of position trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. If he could literally just stay within the same 10-yard area, he'd be fine most of the time. And I, I do expect, although you talk a lot about um, knowing what's going on behind you. I think mm-hmm. that that'll take some more time, but from a discipline standpoint and just kind of calming down, I would say, I think he's, he's going to be better at that uh, in pass defense. Right. We, it, the it's, it's, that was actually when he had us like a sole responsibility, like cover this running back, whether it's a flat route, a wheel route, whatever it might be, you cover him. That was where he was pretty good. Yes. Um, and and, he, and he, I, I don't think he really, I think he can cover a tight end for you, but the problem he gets into is if there's any kind of crossing route that crosses his path, he goes for the candy or he can't, he might go for the candy on the play and, and other teams know it. And when they see it, they find him and they, and they, they, make the throw the appropriate throw off that uh bunch formations gave him an enormous amount of problem off the line of scrimmage just ridiculous for what it was that kansas city game complete embarrassment uh and one of the things from that game that was really apparent was just how much the players were emoting at him on the field for making the wrong play and that that was uh peters uh, especially peters peters wasn't happy i mean yeah, he, want, he wants things done right and discipline P- peters is an emoter on the field and he emotes for himself the one thing if i know peters has done something wrong is when he's when he's perfectly motionless yep like he he missed the mccall hardman play when he got behind him in week two we got for kansas city he walked off the field arms at his side straight down he knew he'd bit on the underneath route it was a gamble maybe it was even a good gamble it didn't work out clearly but he walked off and he knew it was it was his responsibility he didn't have to go my bad that's him saying my bad any other time where he's flailing around it's somebody else's bad (laughs) yeah he's Uh, he's a really good communicator i actually i love that about marcus mm -hmm. like you know if he he's he's very accepting you could almost like the time you're talking about walking off the field head down hand on hips he's almost like you could tell he was replaying it in his head mm-hmm. like man i should have i thought i saw that but it uh you know you could tell he was lamenting it but um yeah when queen made a mistake you didn't have to look far on the coach's film it was peters that was usually the first one there to let him know hey man i told you if, just stay there i got this or you got that um 
So yes, uh, you know, not to get too far off topic, but you know, Queen is going to have to he's going to have to play well against this Browns team, and they didn't use Andy Janovich a ton against us. He had nine uh, snaps, and for those that don't know, that's their fullback. Um, and I noticed that uh, I have to go back and 100 percent sure, but when Janovich came into the game, it seemed like that's when we brought Malik Harrison into the game. Almost like that's how we're going to divvy up our snaps. Um, Janovich, okay, there, there you go, Malik. That's your matchup. That's um, a that's a a sensible matchup. And and if if it weren't for the draft capital expended, you know, Malik is probably the Mike linebacker, and Queen is the Will. I, but I, that's I, that's not the way the, the 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 draft capital was spent, so they can't really afford for that to be the case. I I you know, and we have very good communication between our I mean their neighbors, Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Very good communication, and they they seem to be on the same page. But that's almost one where it just makes too much sense. Um, if anybody wants to watch um, the linebackers, I'll, I'll plug my channel here at Huddle It Up Films on YouTube. I have the 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 highlights of both Queen and Harrison, you can tell how different of players they are. Harrison will come up there and basically blow up the running lane. Uh, lane filler gap killer is what I call them. And then Queen, like you're talking about, it's splash plays, and there were more coverage plays in there than I remember of him matched up one-on-one and just jetting and taking off and being able to change directions, mm-hmm. even fronting a running back downfield. Queen has some really good coverage uh, snaps. I I wish they would consider it. I wish they would say, hey, John, hey, Patrick, we know who was drafted first and who we think is our long-term prized uh, draft pick in Queen. But it really does make more sense to me, and it's easy for me to say, put Malik at Mike and put Queen at Will when both of them are on the field. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, don't, I don't know why they can't do that, by the way. I don't know why that can't be the rule, but they, but they don't. It's, it's, it's Queen plays about 80, 75, 80% of the snaps typically, sometimes more than that, and then they, they shift off between Fort, Malik Harrison, and, uh, and Board for that other position. In fact, they, they, they did go to some snaps where Board was the only linebacker on the field, but they also went to a lot where Board is playing this proxy safety role as the second inside linebacker because the Ravens didn't have another guy. And uh, I think just to tie this this segment of the show together because we're doing a to kind of wrap it up here, the inside linebackers, I think, will play the biggest role in stopping the Browns' run game. I, I expect the Ravens' defensive front to do what they can to create opportunity there for, the, for those linebackers to make plays. And then they're going to have to figure out how to get it done on the second level. Yes, and that that was the whole purpose of us going off on the tangent was was how Queen and uh, and more so Queen matches up against this Browns team. Um, very very important part of it. I'm a little still a little concerned about our edge defense um, against them. Um, you know, Judon had 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 a rough time against the Browns, so we're gonna, we're going to have to get uh, against the run at least. Um, so we're going to have to fix that as well. But yes, man, this is a game for Patrick Queen to show up. Um, um, and make a put a stamp on this game like this. This could be a coming out game for him where he's just tagging Chubb and Hunt all day and they can't get it going on the on the ground. Next thing you know, you get Baker Bayfield in the pocket where he struggles and he's got Ravens coming at him from everywhere. Like I, I could see Queen having a huge game against this team uh, and being really being the key player in whether we are able to win or lose the game or how many points they put up. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And if he can make progress in coverage as well and be a, a force in the middle of the field, whether he, he has to be a pass rusher, which was more the case, I would say, in 2020, or, or he can actually provide you something of value in zone defense, uh, that, that would be a, a very nice addition to his game. Yes. So as far as our edge or defending the stretch zone of the Browns. Um, do you do you like what we're how we're set up on the edges to hold up against that or? Well, I mean they've got McPhee and they've got Oway. I think I expect Bowser to be uh, leaned on very heavily for passing downs and lighter on early downs. Not a complete situational replacement because I think he'll play the most snaps of any outside linebacker, but I think he'll he'll be uh, relied on entirely for passing snaps. So I think then that or that that leaves you trying to figure out is Ferguson going to be a guy who can come back and play the run effectively? Uh, is McPhee going to be used extremely heavily in rundowns? Uh, do they start off away uh, away with a trial by fire where he plays more rundowns than we've seen played out of outside linebackers in the first year at the Ravens typically? I mean, even Terrell Suggs, situational pass rusher is a rookie. Uh, you yes. know, generational run defensive asset. Uh, you know, there's, there's, of all the edge rushers, you know, I, there aren't that many edge rushers who had the kind of dur- duration of a career that Terrell Suggs had. But I mean, in his time, he's he's the guy as as a run stopper from that from that rush linebacker position. I feel like he could come out of retirement right now and still set the Probably edge. Probably could. Probably could. He he had so much craft to his game. It it didn't even require his size anymore. By the time he was closing it down in his last year with the Ravens, he he'd submarine guys take two guys out of the play. He knew how to still use his bull rush effectively to get the proper depth. He just knew how to stay at home. He could sniff out that screen pass when you weren't running the ball. So I I. And he would so set people things. up. He would set people up through the game too. Give him a little <laughs> rope a dope here and there, and then uh, next thing you know, wait a minute, he hadn't done that in all game. How would he do that? I mean, he had a lot of tricks up his sleeve. That's <laughs> that's a great way to say it. Um, but yes, interceptions on on Roethlisberger. So that's where I'm. That's where I'm most nervous. Um, I guess I guess we can transition into the pass game um, if you'd like to, Ken. But, but I mean, we handled them pretty well. Uh, you know, as far as the pass game. Yeah, it's it's uh, you should be scared about the Browns offensive line and the Ravens ability to generate pass rush is going to have to be, I think, mostly schematic this year uh, in particular against the Browns. That's true. If they're going to if they're going to get something more, it'll be from a breakout from one of two players on the inside, in my opinion, either Matt Abike, uh really being a lot better. Taking a step forward, let's just put it that way. Batabiki was a good player in the second half of this year in particular. Um, if he takes a step forward, which I would really hope for, then uh, you know the Ravens have got some of that youth back on the defensive line they want. And the other guy I want to have a better year, uh, even though I think he was good when he played, is Campbell. And most of that's most of that's just playing all the snaps. Wolf, they got everything they could have possibly asked out of him. If he repeats last year, it'd be a, it'd be a marvel. Yes, and you know what? I, th- I think Campbell, when I went back and started paying attention to him, um, he was great before he, he, he met his calf got messed with. Yeah. Um, when he came back and then he got COVID, uh, he wasn't quite the same. He got better every week, I think. And, oh, well, I'm progressing. They said, well, I'm 100% this week. And then after the game, well, I'm still getting better. But uh, Campbell was dominant. If they can limit his snaps and keep him as close to 100% as, as possible, these are the games where you really want to unleash him because um you know you're talking about the guards that they have uh we're gonna need some we're gonna need some play from our you make a really good point i mean but C- campbell has to be treated 
like a top-tier starting quarterback at this point. And when you got the game one early in the fourth quarter, you're up by 25 or whatever, and it, we presume that's going to happen six games this year for the Ravens or whatever. It probably won't. It may be three games or maybe one game this year. Who knows? But you, you, that's when you got to get Campbell out of there. You, you can just sit him down early. It's got to be a priority uh, of, of what the Ravens try and do. They have some age on that defensive line, and they depend on those guys awfully, all three of them on stars, uh, to get it done. You can't sit them all down, but, but you, can, you can play them a lot less uh, as the game moves on. You can also hopefully effectively ground it on the ground to finish that game early with the offense. And really, Campbell brings a little bit something different than any of the other players on that line. He's a pure five technique where basically, um, you know, for anybody listening, he's further away from the center than, than most of our guys. So you look at Brandon Williams, he's your guy dead set in the, in the middle playing the zero and a one. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Wolf is a, I think he's a great three tech, a better three tech than he is five tech. Um, as far as the other five techs on our team, it's, it's just Campbell. I mean, he's head and shoulders, I think at that position as, specifically lined up there than he is uh, than any of the other guys. Right. I mean, Campbell does even line up on the edge some and certainly did even more in previous uh, lifetimes at Jacksonville and and, uh, and Arizona. But the, but the five-tech position is a dying position. You almost can't afford to have it on the team, not a pure five-tech. Uh, the Ravens do not play enough base defense. Mm-hmm. To have a five tech on the field all that much. So if when you're when you're down to, you play a base defense, you know, four five times a game because anytime the other team plays eleven, and that's most everybody plays eleven all the time, um, then you have a nickel in the game and you only have two defensive linemen and they're usually playing that one and three. And against the Browns, again, that's uh, it's not brought up for, for coincidence. That's one of the teams that we're going to play base defense against. Um, we had the same thing with Tennessee and New England last year. That's where very true. They were run-heavy teams, and who's most important in those games? You think Brandon Williams, but really Calais Campbell on the field, giving guards just the toughest of times. I mean, it's uh, it's fun to watch. It was fun to watch early in the season before he got hurt in that Colts game. I think it was. Yeah, so uh, obviously very sad to, to, to lose him for a period of time. It did imperil the Ravens' season. They, they almost, you know, we, we forget in some ways with how it finished, how close they came, not just in the Cleveland game. Sure, fourth and five, Lamar came out, saved the season, you know, got the Ravens going again. And then they really never looked back the rest of the way. They, they destroyed the remainder of the teams on their schedule. But it was really in those, in those middle of game, your games when they had the losing streak. They lost to Tennessee. They lost to New England. Uh, they were losing on the defensive line, and they were relying on Justin Ellis to play a ton of snaps. And, uh, you know, non-availability of various Monstars played a, played a, a part in all of that. And Wolf was Wolf was a man that really just gave everything he had. I mean, we were yep. we were using him way more than than he should to, for him to be at one hundred percent effective. Um, so yeah, the health of the defensive line is going to be a big thing for the Ravens, especially since we're not playing the Browns until week twelve and fourteen. Um, that rotation, I would love to get another body in there yes. to help out. Um, I you know I kind of like I think I like Braddock Washington more than you or, and other fans. I think he has NFL strength and can play. But um, we we're going to need more than the Monstars and Matabike in there. So got to find it. 
Right. I, I agree. I mean, I was very disappointed that they did not draft a defensive lineman. And uh, this was they didn't have a great opportunity, but they did have Christian Barmore available when they picked at 27. And again, when they picked at 31, they didn't take him either time. I think he ended up getting drafted 37, 38, somewhere in there early in mm-hmm. the second round. Uh, but he was head and shoulders the best defensive lineman in this draft. And, and that was a, a little bit upsetting that they that they didn't make a move on him when that's that's the team's probably most significant uh, dearth of young talent. Well, I remember we were talking about how we would grade the away pick on the post-draft show. And, um, you know, I was critical on that pick because there were other players that I liked that I thought we could have traded back instead of jumping on away right there. Mm -hmm. And Barmore was one of those guys, man. Like, it was just such a unique class, Ken, where there was one guy who should have been a first-round pick. I think he was underdrafted. And then there was quite a drop-off between your best guy and then your second-best guy. So that, to me, even made him more attractive like hey we can do it right now and we're yeah. going to have the best defensive lineman out of anybody in football for this class yeah it's a that's a great point so you, not only do you have need you have the guy is a first round talent and then there's a huge drop off to the to the other players so i i wouldn't i, I understand the bateman pick i think he was a good plus value pick i might not have had him as the 15th best player in the draft or the 12th best player in the draft like some people did but but at, at 27 no problem in terms of value away i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure exactly where he would have been drafted if the ravens hadn't have taken him at 31 and you know the, the the sad thing about this is the ravens wouldn't have gotten away and barmore by trading back, they would have gotten one or the other and somebody at a lesser, you know, Friar Moth or somebody that, who wasn't a, a particularly high early third, though. Yeah, you know, we would, you know, most of the math pointed to if we yeah. traded back five to ten spots, we were going to get that team's third round pick. Right. So so um, it would have been a would have been a useful player. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it fell how it fell. We're going to need the uh, we're going to need this defensive line just to stay together. And uh, that's the part, you know, is even so more than edge. Um, I know that we, you know, uh, Justin Houston or Melvin Ingram would look really good on this team and would be an upgrade. I agree. Um, but it's just that interior defensive line, which is the key to getting pressure these days and causing problems with the ball coming out uh, very fast that, uh, you know, I, I kind of am a little nervous about our depth there. Yeah, would like to certainly push that pocket. Well, great show. I really appreciate you coming on, Jason. We have you on for the Steelers and the, and the Bengals show as well. Now, we've already recorded the Bengals show, but a weird situation. We may have blown the recording, and, and so we may have to redo it. But you'll be either hearing that one right before or right after this Brown show, and we appreciate right. you sticking with us. And, uh, Jason, I appreciate you coming on again, buddy. Tell people where they can find your work. Sure, it's Huddle It Up Films, uh, both on YouTube and uh, on Twitter. Please follow me on Twitter. I'll respond. And then as far as YouTube, I have a nice little family over there. It's not a ton of subscribers. I think I'm heading up to 600, but I would really like to get to 1,000 subscribers to be able to do more. It's a YouTube thing to be able to do more with my videos. So thanks to anybody out there in my football family that supports me. All right. Real important. Make sure, at least on Twitter, you give Jason a follow, certainly on YouTube as well, if that's a, if that's your thing. And uh, he's a great follow. I can tell you that. There's a lot of interaction during the day on Twitter, and, and he's a big part of it. So uh, make sure you give him that follow. Uh, for other people, if you're interested in doing a film study short, perfect season for you right now. Between now and camp, football news is kind of light. 
But Football Hot Stove League is at its peak right now. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Whatever you're passionate about, uh, give me a little message on Twitter. We'll talk about it, and we'll probably be recording very quickly after you send me a message. Uh, Jason, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. I really appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.